Micrographic reports from distant galaxies suggest they are slowing down. The hypothesis this evokes is that after expanding for a while, the universe contracts only to repeat the cycle indefinitely. As the Harvard astronomer Harlow Shapley puts the matter, instead of the Big Bang or the steady-state theories, we have the Bang-Bang-Bang theory. Very interesting, says the Buddhist, this being what his cosmology has taught him all along. The West may find such instances of Buddhism's scientific prescience striking, but this cannot account for Buddhism's appeal. For one thing, the West cannot feel that in science it has anything to learn from Buddhism. The most it can do in this sphere is give the Buddhists good marks for some precocious hunches. But there is the further fact that it is not Buddhism in general that is intriguing the West so much as the specific school of Buddhism that is Zen. We understand the specific attraction of Zen Buddhism when we realize the extent to which the contemporary West is animated by prophetic faith, the sense of the holiness of the ought, the pull of the way things could be and should be but as yet are not. Such faith has obvious virtues, but unless it is balanced by a companion sense of the holiness of the is, it becomes top-heavy. If one's eyes are always on tomorrow's, today's slip by unperceived. To a West, which in its concern to refashion heaven and earth, is in danger of letting the presentness of life, the only life we really have, slip through its fingers, Zen comes as a reminder that if we do not learn to perceive the mystery and beauty of our present life, our present hour, we shall not perceive the worth of any life, of any hour. There is the further fact that with the collapse of metaphysics, natural theology, and objective revelation, the West is facing, for the first time as a civilization, the problem of living without objectively convincing absolutes, in a word, without dogmas. As Christ walked on the waters, so is the contemporary Westerner having to walk on the sea of nothingness, buoyant in the absence of demonstrably certain supports. Facing this precarious assignment, the Westerner hears of men across the sea who have for centuries taken up their abode in the void, come to feel at home in it, and to find joy within it. How can this be? The West does not understand— but the nothingness of which it hears from across the sea sounds like something it may have to come to terms with. Zen tells us that the is is holy and the void is home, but such affirmations are not Zen. Rather, Zen is a method for attaining to the direct experience of the truth of these affirmations. This brings us to the present book, for I know of no other that gives the audience so full an understanding of what this method is. For one thing, it presents for the first time in English Yasutani Roshi's introductory lectures on Zen training, lectures which have deservedly won the highest praise in Japan as being, in the words of Ruth Fuller Sasaki, the director of the First Zen Institute of America in Japan, the best introduction to Zen Buddhism yet written. But the book contains another prize that is even more striking. Up to now, it has been all but impossible for those who have not themselves undergone Zen training to get much of an inkling of what transpires in one crucial phase of the process, namely 
Doksan, the series of solemn private interviews in which the Roshi guides the student's meditation toward its goal of enlightenment, for the substance of these interviews has been considered personal and not to be divulged. Now a Roshi, convinced that our new age occasions new procedures, has permitted a series of these interviews to be reproduced. Such material has never appeared even in Japanese. For it to appear in English in this book is a major breakthrough. No one but Philip Kaplow could have written this book. He knows Zen from thirteen years of ardent training in Japan, three of these years in both Soto and Rinzai monasteries. He knows the Japanese who have collaborated to render his translations of little-known material impeccable. He knows the Japanese language well enough himself to have served as interpreter for his Roshi's interviews with Western students.